Let me invite you to take a Bible, if you brought one, or the one in front of you in the pew, those blue books, a Bible, a copy of God's Word, and open it to page 458, Psalm 23. Psalm 23. And if you, weren't, if you didn't happen to be here at the beginning of our service, let me just reiterate that if you are new to us or visiting with us, uh, we hope you feel very welcome this morning. Our, our hope in this time as Christians is to come together and worship God, who we understand is the true and living God. He's created us and reigns over us, and he's done a special thing and shows his love to us that he sent Jesus Christ as his son to die for us and give us salvation. If you don't know that message of the living God who sent his son Jesus to die for you and me, please... Listen, please feel free to come see me afterwards or another member of this church. We would be happy to tell you about Jesus Christ. It would make us very happy to get to have that conversation with you. We hope you feel very welcome this morning. We have been in Psalm 23 for a few weeks. We're returning to it this morning. We'll read it in just a moment. As I thought about Psalm 23... Three in the beginning of that verse, which is where our focus will be this morning, he restores my soul. I began to think as I introduced this sermon this morning about our culture and its approach to wandering. Because as I'll tell you, restores is another way of saying bring back. And this, this verse is going to show us how God treats us in our wandering. And I've been thinking about our culture and wandering and how wandering in our culture is a romantic idea. Now, kids, when I say romantic, I do not mean falling in love. I mean thinking of something as better than it really is. Our culture tends to think of wandering as better than it really is. At some point in time, wandering has turned from indicating to you that you might be in danger of being lost to now being something that is encouraged. So your coworker will tell you about their wanderlust, their strong desire to travel and see the world. Or the car in front of you will carry the bumper sticker, not all who wander are lost. Seemingly suggesting that those in on the secret understand that wandering is better than staying. Now you could say I'm something of an expert in wandering myself. My college career took five years and spanned four different schools in four different places. Between 2005 and today, I've lived in Washington, D.C., Louisville, Kentucky, Dubai, Cape Cod, and Kansas City. If there's anyone who can speak to the experience of wandering, I am at least somewhat qualified. And I have found that there is a less romantic side to wandering. A nagging restlessness that propels a person to keep looking through their searching, but never leading to finding. A growing discontent with what is available, a driving urge to search further and invite greater risks and more dangerous scenarios. 
A kind of deep-seated internal sense that you can't stop long enough to think about what you're looking for. Because if you do, you might realize that you are not simply wandering. You are lost. This is a good time for us to stop and think about our wandering. Because God truthfully addresses it. He hopefully gives us an answer for our lostness. And we'll think about that as we turn to Psalm 23. I'm going to begin by reading Psalm 23, the whole chapter. And then we'll focus in on that phrase, he restores my soul. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're reminded, reading through that again, that David, the writer, is trying to describe for us in a metaphor, in an image, of what his relationship with the Lord is like. He, a sheep, the Lord, a kind, faithful shepherd, providing and leading in all these different aspects of his life. And as we come to Psalm 23, he restores my soul. The word restore there indicates something that was lost That needs to be brought back. It's not what we might initially think of as restores. But that's kind of the sense. Bringing back. And what does the psalmist say is the thing that has been lost? It's his soul. This is now the third facet of David's relationship that we will get time to explore this morning. In verse 1, it was the shepherd and the needy sheep. In verse 2, it was the shepherd and the weary sheep. And here, David considers that he is the wandering sheep. And the Lord is his shepherd who brings him back. So we benefit from David's colorful illustration again. This is a vivid picture of our relationship to God as his people. Increasingly through this psalm, we are moving from who God is. He is the shepherd. He leads. He leads. He makes me lie down. He provides. He restores. We see him and then who we are. And then we find how good it is that we have him. Especially as we see that we wander away from him. I suppose that it's easy for us to understand how a farmer would want to take care of his livestock because they in turn and in time will provide him with his livelihood. There's kind of a vested interest in that kind of caretaking. But then you think more about those who care at a cost. It becomes harder to understand why one would care for another. Hard to understand the love of a parent who repeatedly keeps welcoming back a rebelling child, though each departure is increasingly painful. Or a friend patiently enduring another friend's repeated harmful actions and words, and yet continuing to give in love. 
This morning we consider the most unlikely scenario. People who wander from God and God who goes to bring them back. That's the main idea of Psalm 23.3 here. Our shepherd brings back our wandering souls. We're going to think about that in two ways this morning. First, we'll give a little time to think about our wandering souls. And then we'll think about the shepherd who brings us back. So start with me in thinking about our wandering souls. I wonder when I say the word soul, which is harder for us to envision? What our souls actually are? Or what it means that they wander? We need a clear understanding of both, but I think we need to start with a clear understanding of our soul in order to see how it is that our souls act. Your soul is inseparable from you. It is you. It is the truest, realest part of you. The soul is where the human person experiences life, emotions, desires, the sort of inner side of life. The Bible regularly says those things happen in your soul. So cravings, loving, weeping, knowledge and understanding, thought, memory. The Bible says all these things originate from your soul. When we try to define what makes up a person as a person, the center of that is the soul. When God made Adam, the first man, in Genesis 2-7, we're told that God formed his body from dust But then breathed into him the breath of life and man became a living creature or a creature with a soul. Jesus says that the state of our soul should factor high in our decisions, our choices, and our aspirations. In Matthew 10, 28, he warns, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And so there is this sort of ongoing immortal aspect to us called our soul. And according to Psalm 23.3, our soul is where we experience wandering. Wandering. The kind of wandering that necessitates we be brought back by a shepherd. So we might then say, if we wander with our soul, and the soul is sort of the depth of who we are and the center of who we are, we might then say that when we wander from God, we wander from him with all of our being. It's not some superficial thing that your hand just decides to do or just your brain decides to enter into, but it is a whole person experience. And not only that, but we are capable of this And we are prone to this. But I imagine that's hardly something we want to hear about ourselves. Partly because as Christians, we don't like to think of ourselves as that rebellious. We like to think we're making progress. And we are, by God's grace. And some part of us also doesn't like to think of ourselves as that vulnerable to getting lost. Such that we would be wandering so frequently. When we sang, come thou fount, there's a verse in there where we, we say out, we cry out, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. 
When you sing those words, Christians, does the truth of that ring in your being? If yes, then you know personally the degree to which you can get lost. And knowing that is going to be good for your ultimate return. But if it doesn't ring, if you resist it as true for you, you may be lost and not even know it. If you need convincing that we are wandering souls, ask yourself these questions and truthfully answer them. Have you ever done something you knew to be wrong before God, but you did it anyway? Have you ever been ambivalent about holiness or godliness? Has it ever occurred to you after a day or a week or a month that you have not been thinking about the Lord in your regular routines and decisions? Have you gone through seasons where you looked for love, value, worth, or identity in something other than Jesus Christ? When trials come, do you linger in disgruntled posture toward God, demanding he change the course of your life? Has it been a while since you let someone know how your heart is really doing? These are all potentially signs that your soul is wandering. As I said in the beginning, increasingly our world seems more and more eager to normalize, even encourage the lostness that we are in, chalking it up to idealistic wandering. Sure, there's nothing wrong with traveling to see other parts of the world. I'd encourage it if, you'd, if you're able to do it. See what God is doing in other places. But if our souls are always searching and never finding a place to rest, we should begin to wonder if wandering is really the answer we need. And at the soul level, we must acknowledge, according to the psalmist, wandering tends to lostness. Because it takes us further from Jesus, our shepherd, Jesus, our life. You see, our proximity to Jesus is how we're going to determine if we're wandering and where we are wandering. So take, for example, how you spend your time. When you're at work or in class or at home with kids, does your heart and mind stay attuned to the reality that it is Jesus enabling your work, Jesus working through you, And you are working for his glory as you go about what you're doing. If those thoughts are in your mind and on your heart, then be encouraged that this is a way you're staying close in proximity to Jesus in how you spend your time. That can be as you pray to him for strength and weariness, as you look to him and remember his promises when you're doubting, as you hope in him when you're fearful. All these things can be assurances to you that you are not in fact wandering, but you are staying close to Christ. But then consider an an alternative way you might spend that time. Maybe when you wake up before work has even started, you're thinking about what you will do, what you're responsible for, what plans need to be made, how you're going to get it all done. Before you know it, it's 2 p.m. and you're stressed out because 
You've only done a quarter of your to-do list. You're exhausted. You're irritated with every interruption, be it from kids or co-workers. Your soul has wandered and you can know that it has wandered because Jesus is not near your heart, your mind, or your actions. Somehow you have drifted even in the span of half a day to be far away from loving the Lord with your soul and your strength. Home is where Jesus is for all his sheep. Whenever we wind up in another location, we can know that we have allowed our souls to wander. Now, you're not always going to be able to see where you've wandered on your own. We, we, none of us have that kind of perfect perspective on ourselves. Blind spots are many. We need Jesus and his spirit to make these things clear to us. But as I describe the tendency of our souls to wander, do you suspect that that's where you are right now? Are you wandering? Are you out of proximity to Jesus? Would you describe yourself as safely resting in him or out anxiously searching on your own? Are there times this week when you can recall knowing that you are near to Christ? Or does that seem foreign to you? If you're pleased this morning to be serving Jesus and his people in sacrifice, that sounds like safety in Jesus to me. That sounds like you're near to home. But if you're playing around with the idea that faithfulness to Jesus may not be worth it, your soul may be drifting And you need to come back to Jesus. This proximity to Jesus is important for you and me to consider because we don't all wander to the same places. Some go toward pleasure. Some go toward money. Others toward comfort. Others towards praise. But in our wandering, though different we may be, we all go away from Jesus. Our soul's safety. And we don't all wander for the same reasons either. Satan uniquely crafts his temptations toward our individual souls. Our enemy, after observing us and the things we seem drawn to, selects the bait to match the heart he is trying to hook. For the soul that thinks they deserve more than they have, Satan dangles the idea that God's commands are keeping you from real joy. For the soul that is tired, Satan soothingly suggests that surely God doesn't expect you to spend time with him. You should instead spend time with your phone. For the soul that tends to self-dependency, Satan offers the false notion that God wants, even needs you to carry your part of the world on your own shoulders. But there is a reason we all wander that runs deeper than even Satan's convincing temptations. It is in our nature to wander. Ever since Adam and Eve's expulsion from the garden, we have been lost without God. It was God. It was his presence with us that meant we were found and rested and placed where we should be. Since then, we have been lost. 
In Eden, we were home and we had all that we needed. Outside of the presence of God, we are cursed because we are outside of his presence, endlessly wandering, looking for a substitute version of the person of Jesus we refuse in our sin. By some irrational and distorted reasoning, poisoned by sin in us, we believe and act on the same lie that brought sin into Eden. We believe our best position is out from under God's rule. We believe the best gifts are the ones he has prohibited. And we think God is someone best run from instead of run to. Prone to wander. Lost. And on our own, never finding. Straying in our nature and incapable of returning. This is the plight of our wandering souls. But there is hope in Psalm 23, verse 3. He restores, he brings back my soul. So look secondly at our shepherd who brings us back. The he there is obviously a reference to the Lord, the shepherd mentioned in verse 1. He is the one doing this action. He is the one bringing the wandering soul back. And this makes sense, this kind of restore meaning bring back when you look at the next phrase he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake so you're looking at him bringing us from something our waywardness and to something which we'll look at next uh, two weeks from now back onto the path of righteousness and as we think about our shepherd bringing us back i want us to marvel at two things here especially first marvel that jesus brings us back And marvel how he brings us back. Marvel that he brings us back. Paul Wyckoff read to us earlier from Luke chapter 15. If you want to to turn back there. Luke 15. Page 874. This whole parable, this whole chapter is three parables about a lost thing and the thing being found. So it's the sheep in one through seven, it's a lost coin, and it's the prodigal son at the end there. Here in 1 through 7, as Paul read, this, this is a parable where Jesus is comparing himself to a shepherd who having 99 sheep goes and searches for the one that's lost until he finds it. The same parable is recorded in Matthew 18 in a conversation where Jesus is explaining who is valuable and that he thinks of the valuable as the lowest in society that he goes after. What's remarkable about Luke 15 in this parable is that the shepherd goes after the sheep to begin with. Wouldn't it make more sense to stay with the 99 who don't seem to be wandering away than to leave them for the one that seems responsible on their own to have gotten into the pickle they're in to begin with? But consider if you're that one. And we've all been that one. Wouldn't you be glad that you have a shepherd who cares enough about one to come and find you? When we are this lost, 
Be encouraged at the promise of Psalm 23 that lost is not all we ever have to be. Were it not for a shepherd, lost is where we would stay. But because of the shepherd, we can come back. Because Jesus in his grace is the type of shepherd who seeks and saves the lost. Later in Luke 15, you can read uh, this afternoon, is the famous prodigal son story. A son who demands his father give him his inheritance early, leaves home, and quickly squanders it all. And eventually the son decides to return after living in squalor and destitution, figuring that he might get a job as a servant for his father, but assuming all the way home that he is never going to be able to be a son again. After all the bad that he's done against his father. But we get this wonderful picture of a father who sits waiting and watching for his son's return. Running to meet him and fully reinstating the son into the family. This is the kind of shepherd we have. In Jesus telling us these parables, he is consistently emphasizing the joy that God experiences when lost people get restored. So the father throws a feast for his son because the son was dead and is now alive. The son was lost and is now found, Luke 15, 32. The shepherd, when he finds the one lost sheep, calls his friends and neighbors and throws a party and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Consider, wandering soul, that there is a God who made you, who is earnestly seeking to bring you back. Be encouraged by his love and his grace. You know, when we experience what God experiences, you know, in the kind of rebellion and wandering that we're prone towards against him, I don't think we typically respond to that the way God does in this kind of love and grace. When people leave us or reject us or hurt us, I don't think we're the type often who think of ways to forgive them. We think of ways to forget them. But maybe not move towards them in love. So see that Jesus our shepherd is leading us in the way he's leading us. He says God orchestrates ways to reverse our souls from lost to found. That's what he's working on. That's what he is planning and doing. He does this out of love for the lost and deep joy in seeing them found. So marvel that Jesus brought you back, Christian. Remember the lost days. Remember the lost days. When Jesus came and lifted you from the pit that you had fallen into. Remember the dark days when Christ came like a light to your soul. Remember the wonder of the grace he showed you, not treating you as your wandering deserve, but coming to you, forgiving you, leading you back home with him. Rejoice with the Father that though you were far off, you have been brought near. And marvel secondly about 
how the shepherd brings us back. Turn to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Page number 614. Isaiah 53 is a well-known passage. It clearly prophesies what Jesus would experience a few hundred years later when he was tried and condemned, tortured, and crucified for crimes he did not do. Jesus would be hung on a cross with criminals on either side. Nails were driven through his feet and hands to hold him, and a spear was thrust into his side to hasten his death. In his context, and I would imagine any context, to die that way on a cross was to die cursed. While Isaiah 53 narrates the harrowing details of Jesus' death, these verses also reveal why the innocent Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, died in such a way. See if you can hear the reasons as I read verse 4 and 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Jesus died for us. That spear in his side, those nails in his hands and feet, they were driven through Christ because Christ was there holding our sin. The blows from the soldiers and the death blow of God's wrath fell on Jesus' head because he was replacing Adam as the head of God's people and taking the penalty for Adam's sin and all who came after him who would trust in Christ's death for them. Jesus died to forgive you and cleanse you of your sin if you are a wandering soul lost. Hear the promise that if you come to him in Christ, his blood will cleanse you of all your sin. But then in verse 6, we read, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him The iniquity of us all. Jesus left heaven to search for us. And his search took him to the cross where he died in order to bring us back to God. And when he found us, he took the sin of our wandering souls And he took it with him onto the cross. He laid that burden on his own back, on his own self. And the weight of the punishment we deserved, he took on himself. Because we were the wandering souls. And he, the shepherd, the Lamb of God, come to rescue us. The cross is the definitive place in history where, having pursued our lost souls from heaven, Jesus finally overtakes us, picks us up, and brings us back to God the Father. In Eden, Adam's lifeless body received a living soul by with which to live this human experience, but at Calvary, our dying souls received the living spirit of God in us. 
So if you can confess that your soul is prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, then we are invited this morning again, all of us, back to the cross. Here we soberly confess our foolish wandering. We repent again of our restless searching for life outside of Jesus. And we rejoice in the grace of Jesus to bring us back home. The cross is a safe place for sheep who have strayed. 1 Peter 2.25 By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And we know that as we come to the shepherd at the cross. The shepherd then takes us and places us on a different path. Which we'll think about more in two weeks time. First Peter 2.24 says. Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. That for a purpose. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. This is how he changes our wandering nature. Replacing that old man. That old woman. That old heart. And giving us a new one that desires to walk and follow him. Yes, Jesus in his grace comes to you where you are and in grace leads you away from where he found you. Only lost sheep who prefer to be lost then perpetually linger in sin. Lost souls who know they need rescue, they are glad to take the path that Jesus leads back home. In the path of Jesus as his people now, as we follow him, restoration now is part of our role in each other's lives. James five nineteen to 20 says this, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, restores him, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You see, once Jesus finds us, he puts us to good work in and among his sheep as his apprentice shepherds looking after each other. So please don't be offended if a brother or sister in Christ comes and asks you how your soul is doing. If you felt any proneness to wander in light of the sermon, please don't take that as somehow they're nosing into your business In a place that is private, please be open to that and understand that there are those who are seeking to watch over you as Christ has watched over us. And if they don't do it as well as they could, show patience, show grace as Christ has been so gracious to you. We protect each other from wandering by regularly checking in with each other. I've been so encouraged by how you do this church across the board. I'm receiving this kind of checking in myself and it benefits my soul greatly. Please don't stop. I'm especially encouraged about how I watch women in our church doing this so well. I'll often hear from those going through trial that others have been checking in on them and praying with them and visiting them and providing for them. And we care for each other by lovingly addressing waywardness when we see it in each other's lives. Has a brother been distant from relationships in the church? Then we go to find him. Is a sister's speech increasingly bitter and complaining? Then we go and encourage her to follow Christ in trust and contentment. 
Looking after the wanderer is not just our role together, but it is significantly the role of a pastor among God's people. This is what it looks like to be a Christ-like shepherd. So brothers who are either eldering now or those of you who desire to be pastors one day, start looking after this flock. Not just the sheep who you find to be especially easy and agreeable, but for the ones who seem particularly distracted and distant. By this regular activity, you demonstrate that Christ has given you his shepherding heart. I am amazed at how gentle and kind Jesus is to us in our wandering. How many times have we set off from him? Sometimes secretly, other times public to others. I have chased fleeting promise after fleeting promise, even this week. I have set my heart on vanishing pleasure. I have tried to be my own shepherd. And when Jesus came to me, I was so lost, I couldn't see how far away I'd even gone. I'm amazed that Jesus does not let us go. Why would he keep following me through year after year of my wandering? I cannot fully tell you the answer to that question. But when he found me, I knew it was his voice calling. And when he caused me to hear him, he showed me how truly lost I had been. And when he spoke in salvation, his spirit came into my soul. And then I knew it was time to come home. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the same story. Hallelujah. What a savior we have. And if you are wandering now, I am convinced God is working even in that. Your testimony may be like mine and you're thinking now about how often you've strayed. But if God has ever brought you back before, if you're currently away from him, you can know that he'll use this experience to change you. He's powerful even in that way. When we leave him of our own accord and he pursues us in his grace, we learn more about how he loves us. Not because we deserve it, but because of his mercy. And then we return and in some ways we're different than when we left. In our hearts, he's taught us to know more, that we want to know the shepherd. We want to be closer to him. We want to ask that he would never let us leave his side again. Our shepherd brings us back. So as we conclude, it's worth our time to consider if we are wandering right now. Psalm 23 verse 3 is the voice of a man who speaks and when he speaks, we know what it sounds like to be found. A voice of a man recollecting his own lostness and his getting found and sighing out in relief, the Lord is my shepherd. He brings back my wandering soul. And Psalm 23.3 is also a promise to those who are lost that you can return to Jesus. You can return this morning and he'll welcome you back. Are you wandering in unbelief? The shepherd will bring you to faith. Cry out to him to find you. Are you wandering in sin? The shepherd will hear you when you cry for mercy and forgiveness. Are you wandering from trying to live on your own strength? Jesus will come 
And he will lift you and carry you by his power. Do you feel lost in a world that is so obviously lost? Stand where you are. Call out for Jesus. And wait for him to come and show you the way to your soul's rest in him. The next time you hear the cliche, not all who wander are lost. Remember, when it comes to our souls, that's just not true. All souls that wander are in some way lost. Thankfully, Jesus the shepherd comes to bring back our wandering souls. Let's pray.